Hello and welcome to the False Neutral, your weekly podcast where we discuss all the different aspects of the motorcycle lifestyle. I am your host, Eric, and I am flying or riding solo this week. Garrett is off on a ride with his friends for his birthday, and he was unavailable. We also had tried to schedule a guest for this week, but we were unable to nail that one down. So it's just me. And then for next week's show, we're going to have Garrett back on, and hopefully Pete uh, will be returning because Garrett will talk about his ride, and Pete will be talking about the smack dab ride that was this past weekend as we record this. So there's just a couple items that I want to touch on this week. We'll keep it uh, relatively short, although that's always subject to be revised in case I decide to go off on a rant on this first topic, which we're going to talk about. And the first topic I want to touch on this week is that the Volkswagen Automotive Group might be selling off Ducati to raise money because, as you may or may not be aware, they've got worldwide something between 15 and $20 billion worth of fines to pay for their uh, their, their gaming the system with uh, diesel emissions. So they're looking to raise capital wherever they can, not only to pay that off, but also they are investing very heavily in battery technology right now is sort of a counter swing they were already doing it anyways uh, they were hoping to let keep diesels going for about another five years to help pay for it but they want to flip i think it's something like 40 percent of their production to battery capacity or at least to having minimum 70 miles on electric by 2025 so that's coming relatively quickly so they need to raise capital in any way they can. So they're looking at all their assets, what's important, what's not, what can they get good money for, and Ducati is probably the easiest target for them. Why? Well, everything else is cars and trucks on their portfolio. That makes sense. I think Volkswagen controls 13 or 15 different brands across the board, many which Well, for our European fans, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when we go through all of them. Uh, Seat and Skoda and a few of the truck brands as well. Uh, Most American, North American uh, fans, you've kind of heard of them, but you may not care, and that's fair. So Ducati has been rumored to be on the market for about six months. Maybe yes, maybe no. And there is one company that came up in the news last week that was heavily rumored to be interested in no deal imminent all i'm going to say is as a ducati fan as someone who would like to own a ducati in the future and for everyone who owns a ducati uh, you may want to get in touch with your preferred deity and offer whatever prayers and offerings you can that this does not go through. That, of course, is the motor company, i.e. Harley-Davidson, is interested in buying Ducati. Now, why do I personally think that would be an absolute disaster for Ducati? It's very easy. Harley-Davidson knows Harley-Davidson. Harley-Davidson knows Harley-Davidson customers. Harley-Davidson doesn't have clue one when it comes to customers of any other brand or any other style of motorcycle. And there is an abundance of evidence 
to show that this is true. We can even go back as far as you want into the 70s with, and talk about Aramachi, but we'll just skip to, say, the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, example number one would be Eric Buell and Buell Motorcycles. You know, Eric was doing his own thing. Harley Davidson bought him. They combined. They bought him out. You know, uh, here was an opportunity to really expand the brand. Uh, we'll skip the deity-like distortion field, reality distortion field that Eric Buell, you know, commands. As an engineer, pretty good. Some of his decisions and some of his hard-headedness on some of his engineering choices, again, we'll save that for another another show, maybe, possibly. But he had an idea, and he was going in a direction which was bringing new people into the brand, people who weren't interested in sitting on you know, a paint can shaker, making the loudest noise possible with the height of 1940s technology. He was interested in bringing people into the brand who were interested in going faster, who liked making left and right turns rather than just going fast, whose motto was something other than loud pipes save lives. You know the story behind that. You know how well that ended up. You know, they bought out Buell. They, you know, they, they tried to do it together, and then they bought Eric out, and then they killed the brand. And then... It was, I believe, in 2009 or 2010, the motor company said, well, let's try that again, and they bought out MV Agusta. They got MV Agusta for a song, but once again, they don't have a clue about appealing to that demographic. Now, that's not to say they don't know how to deal with people with money, because they they have sold a lot of pe- lot of motorcycles to people who make a lot of money. I mean, you got to have a pretty good income to be a, to afford some of these twenty six to thirty five thirty eight thousand dollar you know baggers and customs that on the high end that Harley likes to sell. A lot of doctors and lawyers and you know successful independent business people are those necessarily the people though who would be interested in MV Agusta? No. Um, there is an income level, but uh, it's a different lifestyle, I'm going to say. Well, they did so well with MV Agusta that they basically, they didn't give it back, but close enough gave it back uh, to to Castiglione's uh, for almost next to nothing. So, 0 for 2. Given all of that, do you really want to see what they're going to do with Ducati? I certainly don't. Now, the parallels between the two are pretty pretty amazing. And if you're an MBA sitting in office looking at spreadsheets, this deal makes all the sense in the world. It really does. You have two historic brands with two very uh, intense, loyal customers. The brand is huge. And for both Ducati and Harley Davidson, they probably not probably I'm sure they do. I haven't looked at the at their uh, at their 10Ks, so I can't say for sure. But I would venture to guess they they make more as much or more money off the clothing lines than they do off of selling motorcycles. Well, let, we'll say clothing 
clothing prop maybe, but between clothing and then accessories. Between those two. So the motorcycles are, are, are more a tool to sell everything else that comes with the lifestyle and the brand, right? So that's very similar between the two. And in fact, you could almost say Ducati in the somewhere around the mid to late 90s looked at what Harley Davidson had been doing and was continuing to do and said, hey, uh, that's a good idea. Let's uh, do that. And yes, I apologize because that's an absolutely horrible Italian accent. And yes, I can do much better, but. There you go. So from a 10,000 foot view, yes, this makes a lot of sense because the business model is very similar between the two. The execution is completely different. And that execution goes into who are you trying to appeal to? Harley Davidson's people are not going to be interested in Ducatis. And I can tell you for sure, Ducati people are not interested in Harley Davidson people. And in and, and that brand, they are two separate worlds and never to never uh, between the two shall they collide. It's like it's like Corvette people and Ferrari people. Uh, it really is. Uh, you know, the two might uh, see each other somewhere, but Corvette people are going to aren't going to look at Ferraris and go, yes. And and Ferrari people are going to look aren't going to look at Corvettes and go, yes. No, it just. So there's no synergy. There, there's parallels, but there's no synergy between the two. They fill different brands, and together they would be, you know, fill a much larger market. But it's just, it's just not going to work out. And we know that Harley Davidson likes things done their way. And I have a little extra insight into this. I didn't sign any any NDAs, so I can talk a little bit about this. About a month ago, I was approached by a recruiter who was working through an ad, a local uh, well-known advertising agency here in Metro Detroit who's been hired by Harley-Davidson. Harley-Davidson wanted to wants to build uh, a content and social media presence. That right there should tell you how forward-thinking this company is. It's 2017, and they have no content and social media plans at all. They need to start from scratch and build it. That's okay. Uh, so originally it was going to be uh, if I was interested, if they would hire me, that I would commute between Detroit and Milwaukee, you know, to, you know, for like, say, I'd be in Milwaukee three, four days a week and then come home on weekends. This would be for about six, six to seven months and then, you know, go there occasionally. Well, somewhere along the way, they changed their mind and said, no, we want you here for the first six months. And in talking to a few people who've worked in and around Harley Davidson in the past, got a little more information is like, this is what they'll tell you. This is what it's going to be. And what it's going to be is, no, you'll be working for the motor company, essentially contracted in, and they will want you here at all times. There is no, you can go back and forth between Detroit. So at that point, I'm out. Uh, I have too many commitments in this area to uh, family and otherwise to pick up and move to Milwaukee and no real desire. I, Wisconsin's a beautiful, beautiful place. I was just there a couple months ago or a month and a half ago, but I have no desire to live in Milwaukee and, you know, working for an ad agency would, would have been great. Uh, working for the motor company. Didn't, didn't see that. And just, it's a bit of a tangent, but I just, Harley Davidson's gonna the, the point of the, the point of that tangent is Harley Davidson has their way of doing things and they're not gonna change. So they the their management coming in 
and coming into Ducati will be a huge culture shock and it just it would be a disaster it would be an unmitigated disaster and if it goes through mark my words and now if it if it goes through and it works out you know i'll i'll eat my words on that i'll i'll eat crow on that i have no problem with that but it's one of those things of when you've seen it enough times you kind of know what's going to happen and now for my best best john mclaughlin item two if you have not watched the Assen MotoGP race, then you need to. I will not say that it was a legendary race. I will not say it was the most amazing race that I've seen. But it was one of the better MotoGP races that I've seen in the last few years. The best thing about it was interesting conditions. It was supposed to rain it well it was forecasted for rain it may or may not towards the end of the race uh there were spits and drops of rain that caused the caused Dorna to throw the white flag out which means um you can come in and change bikes i was about to make a french joke but obviously they're they're not in france that was the week before uh but um a couple riders chose to and it didn't work out. I'll just tell you that. The battle up front was amazing pretty much the entire race. And I'm not going to spoil it, although by the time you're reading, but by the time you're listening to this, if you haven't watched the race, I, I don't know how it'd be a spoiler for you at this point. But the, the battle up front, uh, originally with Zarco, uh, Mark Marquez, Rossi, uh, Danilo Petrucci, uh, those four were the main uh, the main guys up front throughout the entire race. Some people some people left. Some people joined joined the fray. Uh, Cal Crutchlow had an amazing run in the last couple laps, and uh, he even said that he he pulled his move one lap too early, and it cost him a podium spot. So, you know. Uh, Cal is Cal is one of those people that just you, he once he gets a bit between his teeth he's he's a go and he's just signed a two year deal with HRC so he's going to be paid directly by by HRC and stay on the LCR team and I think that's a great opportunity for Cal gives him uh, a little bit of security Chechenello has proved in the past on multiple occasions that when the funding is there he can put together uh, a team an independent team a satellite team that can challenge with the factory boys, not just on occasion, but fairly regularly. And I would uh, uh, give you Randy Depunier from the uh, late 2000 aughts, 2000, I want to say five, six, seven, eight, in that general time frame. Uh, you know, Depunier was was riding very well, and while he never won, he was a a, a consistent threat for the podium and. It's one of those things now where Chechenello can concentrate on having the have, having the budget and and be able to uh, put together a solid team and race and with not having to worry about Crutchlow's salary so much the better. Uh, but that race up front was great. It wasn't that they swapped the lead a lot. It were a few a pretty couple strong passes, uh, a little little contact here and there. Uh, not only up front, but well, actually up front because uh, not only between the lead group, but lappers in the end got in the got in the way because the marshals forgot to throw out the blue flag, which 
may or may not have affected the actual outcome. I would point you to David Emmett's write-up on uh, motomatters.com to really flush that out. It's in the last couple paragraphs of his wrap-up from, from Assen. But it was great to see a very strong race in, in MotoGP. And I have not watched Moto3 or Moto2, uh, but apparently those races were also just as good. The There were a couple... There were more than a couple big surprises uh, from qualifying. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo qualified in 21st position. You know, the qualifying was under wet, mixed to wet conditions. I didn't get a chance to watch qualifying. I'm just kind of coming off of what uh, uh, Julian Ryder was talking about during the race and in, in the pre-race. Uh, he came up some, but you know when it started to spit, Jorge Jorge can ride in the full wet. And the full dry, but if it's anything that's thinking about being mixed conditions, he doesn't want anything to do with it, and his results uh, showed. Danny Pedroza was nowhere to be found all weekend, which coming off of uh, of Catalonia, it's, it's it's a bit of a disappointment. The, the Maverick Vinales had uh, qualified well back, was on a charge, but uh, that's another one I'll refer you to uh, to David Emmett on. He had a good Maverick. Maverick answered his own question without realizing he answered his own question as to why he crashed out about two thirds of the way through as he was making his way forward. He was in fifth, sixth, seventh spot when he when he crashed out. He's having a I would say sixth or seventh spot. Uh, nice battle. He was going well. Had some confidence. Was riding well. And then at the at the GT. Uh, chicane there uh right right towards the end and the flip-flop catches a lot of people out throughout the years and it caught maverick out um mainly because he was too aggressive on the flip-flop and again i'll refer you to david emmett's uh, write up on that because it goes through and, and talks about it. it and it was interesting because maverick didn't realize what he even though he he said yeah i was i i, I, I was extra quick or something as i was trying to trying to move the bike around and uh, and all of a sudden I crashed. Well then there's your answer but he didn't know why he crashed. So anyways, uh yeah, Zarco was a bummer for Zarco. Um as he he uh made the decision to change bikes and that did not work out. Uh, he had faded back a little bit. He had he had gambled on a soft tire choice and it's possible that he had his tires were kind of worn out and he was you know damned if he did and damned if he didn't but it was unfortunate because he had showed as he's done all season shown real speed and it's a matter of uh, when not if he's going to stand on top of the podium so uh, like i said go watch that race based off of the uh, messages i've got throughout the day because i was out doing other things i thought it was going to be like the most amazing race ever and it wasn't but that's not to say it wasn't an outstanding race. It was a very good race, and it's definitely well worth your time to to go and watch that. You know, if you can get the BT Sports feed, I like Julian Ryder. I can, you know, I, I that was a race that I that I wish Toby Moody was was the main commentator on. It was just given given the finish, given the venue, Toby Moody. Uh, would have been the preferred lead announcer, but that's a personal choice. And anyways, uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap this one up. We'll keep it right to about 20 minutes. I don't want to blather on too much. Those were the two main topics that I wanted to talk about this week. 
Make sure that you like, share, and subscribe to us. Uh, like us on uh, like us on Facebook. Join us up there. We got over a hundred people who've liked us on Facebook. That's where you're going to see most of our posting. Occasionally, we'll post on Twitter, but it's very occasionally. If you could rate us over on iTunes and the Apple Podcasts, that would be outstanding. When you see us post, if you on Facebook when we release these things, if you can share that, it would be much appreciated. It helps really spread the word. Uh, about the show as i said uh, for next week's show we're gonna have garrett back for sure and uh, we will work as hard as we can to get pete as well to talk about smack dab because he's got a couple good stories to talk about from that as well so i'm gonna pull one out from the old uh, rumble strip radio archives to close this off until we see you again and talk to you again next time have fun be good most importantly keep it on two wheels we'll talk to you again soon bye-bye